0: Coming up on A Lively Experiment. A new year brings a new General Assembly session with renewed challenges. What are likely to be the key issues in 2023?
1: A Lively Experiment is generously
2: underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White, Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program in Rhode Island PBS.
0: Joining us this week with the analysis are leaders from both chambers. House Majority Leader, Chris Blaiszewski. Senate Minority Leader, Jessica De La Cruz. Josh Miller, Chairman of the Senate's Health and Human Services Committee. And House Minority Leader, Mike Chippendale. Hello everyone and welcome to our annual Legislative Leaders Program, I'm Jim Hummel. Housing, education, the environment, and homelessness, we found that having a lot of money doesn't always solve the state's problems. But it's a much better position to be in than the huge deficits Rhode Island saw just a couple of years ago. So what can we expect to see over the next six months? Panel, welcome going to have a great half hour. Uh, just a programming note, Senator Miller, thank you for joining us. Ryan Pearson, who was the new Senate majority leader, had a conflict, uh, so Josh is coming in from the bullpen, so thank you for that. Chris, we joked uh, before, you were the only guy who survived from last year's panel. <laughs> There's been a big change in leadership, so uh, Mike, you've been on this show before. Chris, let's begin with you. This big budget surplus, I know uh, Speaker Sakarchi said in the ARPA money, they had 10 times the amount of requests for what you had. How do you approach it going into the session. It's a nice luxury to have, but a lot of people want a piece of that pie.
2: Sure, and I'll just say over the last three years, in the two years that Speaker Chikarchi has been um, Speaker, we've done three budgets, three balanced budgets that have focused on t- t- serving the people of Rhode Island in housing, child care, health and human services, while also providing targeted tax relief to Rhode Islanders. So we've been focused on those things for some time, and looking at what, how we handle any budgetary surplus, we want to see, first of all, is it one-time money? And we think it is. And second of all, what does our long-term outlook look like? And there has been a lot of reports about a potentially softening economy. We're aware of that, and we want to make sure that any spending that occurs in the budget is one time and focused on the revenue that we have now and doesn't create long-term obligations that could set us back in the future. You were one of the first to
0: call for suspension of the gas tax, something tangible. Now, Mm -hmm. gas has come down. I've heard a lot of people, neighboring states are saying, we have all this money. Why don't we cut a check or why don't we do something? Now, the governor's talked about a potential sales tax cut. Do you have something in mind beyond that for that
3: surplus? Well, I think if we're going to do a sales tax cut, I don't think a small percentage is enough. I think that we need to compete with Massachusetts. And uh, if we just have a 1% tax cut, I don't think that's going to entice anyone to come to Rhode Island and spend their money. If we make it 5%, then I think it is enticing and people will cross the border to Rhode Island.
1: Uh, you know, on the, on the sales tax, I do think that it, it it's a little, uh, reward on the investment in the sense that we are giving that relief to people from out of state as well. Uh, and really what we'd be doing by becoming competitive with Mass would only be recapturing Rhode Islanders who now spend money on, on larger purchases out of state. So while that's good relief, uh, I think we could probably offer relief in an area that's, that's more durable for, to everyone.
4: I think you have to be careful of the cycles we've seen in the last several years and whether tax cuts in general have been uh, appropriate. But, you know, we have had COVID. We've had the recession of 2007, 2008. We have another one forecast. So I think you have to be cautious. And um, when you look at any tax cut, it's what what the long-term implications could be to our ability to approach any trend.
0: I had not heard about this until, the governor may have mentioned it in one of the debates, but I read one of the, you know, the uh, stories he did with the Globe and the Journal. Was this on your radar screen? And, you know, the speaker will say we need to do a fiscal analysis. Has there been a fiscal note done on if you lowered it a percentage, how many millions or tens of millions that translates into?
2: Well, I didn't. we anticipate getting the governor's budget on uh, January 17th. Once we get that budget, our finance committee is immediately going to go to work and start hearing parts of the budget, hearing the articles, taking a look at what the costs will be. You know, on the governor's side he's supposed to present us with a balanced budget so presumably he's doing that work as well but we in the House take the budget as um, very, very seriously because it's our, really our primary responsibility is to pass a balanced budget every year. So our finance committee will go right to work to make sure that the numbers add up and they're providing a budget that not only serves the people of island and serves their needs but also is, is balanced and provides a relief to people where they need it.
1: What are you hearing from your constituents? Uh, they need relief. You know, um, property taxes is the biggest thing in in the part of the state that I represent that seems to drive uh, where people are. And um, we don't get much relief from anything other than Homeowner taxes. So this past election, a lot of it was, of course, the, elect- the, the increase in electric costs and just the general increase in costs across the board, and, and how they really need some relief at home. So that, that that's an area that I think is is some place we have to focus on.
0: Josh, I get the sense. So you've been in there since 2006. So you have a few years on everybody here. The sense that I get is because you've seen that red ink, the leadership, for so long that there's a hesitancy because you know right around the corner you got to look at the out years. So maybe to do something bold, I sense a hesitancy. I don't know what you're hearing up there, that we need to be cautious because two years out, we may be facing another $200 million deficit.
4: Yeah, I think there's some caution based on that and that we've seen cycles. It's been somewhat of a roller coaster. And if you add the implications of something like COVID, which has showed how we can get a spike in demand for a wide range of services, and I know you're going to talk about housing later, but that's an example of there'll be a tremendous demand on some of our social services based on coming out of COVID, uh, based on, um, you know, a longstanding lack of a certain access to health services um, so, and housing. You know, we're going to talk about those are examples where there could be huge demand on services and we have to be able to be equipped to um, fund that demand.
0: Same question for you, Jess. What are you hearing from your constituents when you talk to them?
3: The gas is expensive. It's hard to heat their home. Uh, paying for groceries is almost double. And hard, it, it's hard for them to uh, make ends meet. And the, they haven't changed their spending habits. They're still buying the same you know, products at the grocery store and still driving the same amounts you know, to take their kids to soccer or whatever it is. But it's now costing so much more. And um, they feel the pinch
0: Mike, let's talk about affordable housing. Um, I know you've been in some hearings. uh, I heard Secretary Saul, who has had kind of a rough start to begin with. As I said in the open, having money doesn't always solve the problems. And we've seen, particularly with the Cranston Armory Shelter, they've had problems staffing or whatever. I guess what I think a lot of people are looking at is the execution. The money's been allocated. Now what about the execution? Yeah, absolutely. And what role the legislature (laughs) plays, because it's really the administration. It's in their court right now. They've been funded.
1: Absolutely. I think throwing money at any problem is sort of like a Band-Aid on skin cancer. It looks like it goes away, but it really doesn't. Um, You know, we are in the legislature. We have gone to great lengths to ensure that the resources have been allocated for the people who need to execute. Um, Whether or not they're going to be able to execute is really what's at at question here. And frankly, I haven't seen the sort of urgency that this issue really demands so far. Um, And we're running out of time. We have to act, and we have to act swiftly and responsibly.
0: I know the speakers, speakers had concerns about what the secretary is doing, and, it, it you know, this is an issue we've been talking about for so long, but we have the luxury of money now. So how would you like to see it used, and what timetable?
2: Well, you, you mentioned execution. That's so important. Really, the House has been ahead of the curve on this. I know housing has been an issue that has been... Um, in in the forefront but if you go back to the three budgets we've done since 2020 in the first budget we had a 65 million dollar affordable housing bond which was at that time the highest affordable housing bond that had ever existed we also passed a uh, first in um in in rhode island uh, housing production fund and pre-funded it with $25 million. Then last year we provided almost $300 million to support the production of additional affordable housing. So the resources are there. It's now the time we need to see execution on those on those plans. We created a pay for success program, a $6 million program to provide wraparound services for people that are chronically un- unhoused. That was passed in 20. 20- Uh, 21 the summer of 2021 now just now the governor is started implementing that program so we've got to see execution on the on the funds that we've created over time Josh
4: yeah I think there are two components to this that we should look at there's the housing component and there's a wide range of housing needs I believe it's 30,000 units over a wide range but if we're talking about those who are currently homeless it's a totally different category and it requires a totally different approach that goes beyond housing. Um, It's why are these people housed and could we have prevented that? And can we quickly do something about that? And are there populations we can specifically target that would prevent them from being housed, whether they're recently incarcerated, those who have behavioral health issues or Um, Addiction issues, those who have been evicted, uh, victims of domestic violence. There are resources that would prevent them from being homeless that also need to be funded, that would prevent homelessness, that would really be um, a quicker solution often than waiting for housing to be built or to properly respond versus responding in December, we know we've lived in Rhode Island all our lives, most of us. We know winter is coming every time winter comes, but we're not prepared almost every season. And to properly prepare and fund that response on a year round annual budget that actually meets those needs and approaches those issues.
0: And just, uh, <laughs> Affordable is a relative term because spikes rents have spiked so much. So it's not just the urban areas. I'm sure even in your district, people are having a hard time finding affordable rental units.
3: It's hard to find rental units at all. Um, I talked to even uh, legislators in uh, in the Senate. One was telling me that her constituents can't find something in Providence. It's too expensive or there just aren't enough uh, apartments available. Um, but... For the homelessness, there there are short-term uh, things that we can do immediately, and then there are things that we have to focus on uh, long-term. But um, short-term, we have all this money, and the governor hasn't um, used the funds. And we, as you had mentioned, the armory, uh, they found it to be unsanitary, unsafe, and it's there's there's no reason for it. Um, but,
0: but also that might be a workforce thing. We're having such a hard time getting people to work in any job. You can't just snap your fingers. I know Crosswords and Amos House are overseeing these things, but to get people to, you know, how are you going to hire and get people over to the armory? So I know that, that it, from the outside, it may seem easy. The execution, as we said, again, is not as easy.
2: Well, I think that's part of the uh, point I was trying to raise earlier is that this is something we've been working on in the legislature now for three years. I mean, I think we worked as a caucus. We came together uh, shortly after Speaker Sikarcha was elected. We talked about the issues we wanted to work on, and housing was first a uh, foremost, and that was three <laughs> years ago. So we've been doing the work through the bond, through the production fund, now through the last year's budget to set up the opportunity for the, for the administration to execute on a plan, not only to build more affordable housing. Uh, long-term, but also p- provide those wraparound services and those short-term transitional housing needs that we need to get people off the streets into a stable housing situation. When
1: you go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to interject uh, complimentary to both of those comments um, in that same period three years we've also seen a depletion of, of mental health professionals um, addiction uh, counselors things along those lines that have further complicated the issue so having the funding available is is one element but not having the the, the folks who can uh, um, go out and, and perform the, these uh, vital services is a problem that is is in my opinion not being addressed uh, in the marketplace so to speak
0: well we've seen that with nurses we've seen Absolutely. a lot of professions uh, Every profession. teachers, leasing. Josh, when we talk about affordable housing, so people say that's, there's a number of components. You've got to build units. Is it rent vouchers? Is it trying to get, is it a combination of things? And like where would you like to see the state a year from now?
4: Yeah, like I said, I just came from a meeting where it was discussed that the amount of housing that we're short in Rhode Island is 30,000 units. Um, a few hundred of those are the homeless population that we've talked about. Um, it's, it's a wide range. It's a different approach for each sector. Workforce housing is a different approach to those who are homeless. Mm. Um, the people who can't find housing in a rural district who can't afford an apartment is partly to do with the wage they're paid and they're not paid enough, right? It's partly to do with how quickly you need to solve the problem. Do you need to solve the problem by subsidizing somebody's rent or you need to solve the problem by adding more inventory. It's not the same approach for each sector. And therefore, we've not come up with a simple solution, and we need to specify the report that's overdue would specify and help specify where you need to spend. Do you just need to spend more on supplemental? Do you need to spend more on emergency? I'm sure we need to spend more on all of them, but if you have 250 and you want to spend another 250 how should you allocate? That's where the real work comes in and that's why you're needing housings are that will respond appropriately and know that he's basing it on fact rather than um, what happened yesterday.
0: Just quickly before we move on, where does the legislature fit in here now. The, you know, you've said the governor needs to do his thing. Speaker Sikarchi Speaker is not happy with what's going on. So w- What do you need to do from a legislative perspective to kind of move the ball along?
2: Well, we passed a a package of housing bills last year. I think that the House is going to take the lead on a potential package of bills again this year. Those are still in development to provide the uh, legal uh, enforcement and ramifications to make sure that our cities and towns are meeting their affordable housing obligations, that as a state we're coming up with a plan that we have all the information that we need to start building affordable housing. And so I I do think there will continue to be legislative (laughs) efforts on that front, but... It, there's separation of powers in the state as there should be. The legislature can pass laws and can provide funding. It's the administration that's got to execute on those, on those laws and use that funding to fulfill its ends.
0: Jessica, education, such a big deal. And, and we've coming out of, co- you got kind of a mulligan for COVID, right? For those couple of years, but that's lost learning. So I wonder, as you look at it statewide and how, uh, and Helican Fonte Green was brought in, and then all of a sudden the Providence takeover kind of sucked all the air out of the room. But there are districts all over the state that we need to be concentrating on.
3: Yeah. With education, um, the problem didn't happen because of COVID. It happened well before COVID. And, you know, the Johns Hopkins report came out before COVID, and... Uh, it was a scathing review of, of Providence' school system. But it's not just Providence, there are other school districts. We, we saw Central Falls has, uh, I think, 1% proficiency in math. And so, you know, I think that requires a radical approach. I think that students in a failing system don't have 10 years for us to fix the problem. While we're fixing the problem, those students need immediate um, relief, they need help immediately. So give them a voucher, let them go to a different school system, either a private school or another public school, but it would be, I think, wrong to keep these kids in a failing system. I was talking to one business owner over the election and he has a recycling business for um, automobiles. And he said he hires students right out of high school from Providence and they can barely read and write. Mm. How are those individuals going to be able to build a life for themselves or even a family? So we are doing a great disservice to the children of this state. Mike.
1: You know, it is. It's something that has been going on for a long time. No particular district or region is unaffected right now. We're seeing scores across the state that are worrisome. Um, You know, each two-year clip that's lost in a child's education out of 12 years, that's substantial. They're set back. Uh, Certainly COVID, exacerbated that there's no question but we haven't really seen any forward momentum uh, particularly with the state takeover in Central Falls and, and I'm, I'm rather hesitant to, to say that we'll see momentum in the state takeover of Providence unless something changes um, and it does have to be dramatic because we didn't get here overnight we're not gonna un get here overnight which means we have to change our approach our approach doesn't work it clearly does not.
0: Your majority leader, Ryan Pearson, who would be here uh, if he could, but I've read his saying we need to look at the funding formula again. Chris, we'll get to you in a second because the House may disagree with that. Is that something we need to do right now, or is that?
4: I think you need to re-examine the funding formula, and I think you would agree. I think, um, as, as you mentioned, we, um, no community is untouched, but there are communities that should be prioritized because the need is more. And I think any reexamination of the funding formula should recognize those communities that are most in crisis and figure out a more effective way to deal with it rather than state takeovers.
2: The House perspective? Well, I think we look at the funding formula every year. Um, if you look over the last uh, 12 years since I've been elected uh, to the legislature, we've provided hundreds of millions of dollars of additional state funding to uh, fund the funding formula and we've also ad- added additional money for categoricals including money for multi learners which is really important for communities like Providence. My two children go to Providence public schools. I walked them here to school before I came here today um, and I'm, I went to public schools, my wife went to public schools, we're strongly committed to public schools And we in the legislature take that responsibility very uh, seriously about our our role in education. Over the last few years, not only have we provided, last year alone, over $700 million, including a $300 million bond to rebuild our public schools, but we've continued to provide the resources to the school system. I'll also add that right now the districts have... Um, through federal programs, Providence alone has $100 million to address uh, a learning loss. We in the legislature put an additional $40 million to look at learning loss last year alone. So we are uh, looking at these issues. The districts have the resources. The uh, Department of Education has the resources. And now they need to use those resources to make the changes that we so desperately need to see in our education system. The voucher
0: system, that's a whole, you know, it it gets turned like this. And I know you'd like to see that, but in the short run if that's not happening, what do you do? There's just teacher shortages. There are all these things. What do you do in the short run as maybe you're working toward that longer concept of the voucher system? Well, we
3: just said that throwing money at a problem doesn't necessarily fix it and there are shortages across every sector. So throwing money at um, the education issue that we're having, and I would say we spend a lot per capita per child per per student in this state. So it's not that we're underfunding these students. Um, And I'm all for more services. I am, you know, English is my second language. I didn't learn English until uh, I started kindergarten and stayed back in the first- You're doing pretty
0: (laughs) well. Thank you. I appreciate
3: it. Uh, (laughs) I stayed back in the first grade because I didn't have strong command of the English language. So I think having uh, resources for those uh, English uh, learners, second language English learners, um, is important. But again, Um, It's not necessarily just the money uh, because we have plenty of it right now. Um, I think that some students um, are not thriving in the public schools and I'm, I'm a product of the public schools so those students need a choice. And if we have... You know, there isn't going to be a mass, like a deluge of students leaving the public schools. There will be students that leave. Maybe it's 20 percent. Maybe it's 10 percent. I'm not sure what the number will be. But then there will be fewer students in the classroom in the public schools. So those students will have more attention, more teacher time, one-on-one time, instruction time. And, um, you know, the Senate wanted to pass, and I th- believe they did, smaller classroom sizes in kindergarten. So what we're doing is we're giving students that need a, a different model of education or a um, uh, in a different public school or a private school, and we're making the classroom sizes smaller in Providence and Pawtucket and Central Falls so the students have more attention, more one-on-one instruction. I, I think it's one that, win.
0: I always love that the contract said you can only have 25 or 28, but if it goes over, we'll just pay you more. Like, that's going to help the educational. Yeah. Let's do this. We're, uh, the, the, we're moving along. Uh, I asked each of you to bring maybe one issue or one piece of legislation that is not going to be grabbing the headlines that you would like the audience Um, to be tracking and that you'll be tracking. Senator Miller, let's begin with you.
4: Well, for a few years now, and I think it becomes more and more of an issue based on the Supreme Court, is um, the ACA will not get out of danger in this Supreme Court. And like we've codified a few other important state priorities, I think we have to um, codify certain components. The Affordable Care Act. Yeah, the Affordable Care Act.
0: All right, so you're going to be keeping track on that.
4: Chris, what are you going to be looking at? Well, again, tied to the
2: United States Supreme Court, uh, the Equality and Abortion Coverage Act, which makes sure that people that get their insurance coverage through the state or through Medicaid have the exact same insurance coverage for abortion services as people who are uh, privately insured. I think after we've seen the, the United States Supreme Court's decision overturning Roe v. Wade, it's more important than ever that people have access to the abortion services that they, they need, and that's an important bill that we want to get over the finish line.
0: Regardless of where you are philosophically on that, I mean, you're an overwhelmingly Democratic legislature. Do you not see, do you see any roadblocks to that, or do you see that sailing through?
2: Well, I mean, any vote on a, a major issue like that is, is going to involve a lot of um, debate. Uh, But there was just a poll uh, this summer that showed that 72 percent of Rhode Islanders believe that people who have state or Medicaid insurance should have the exact same coverage for abortion services as private insurers. So I, I suspect that if the people of Rhode Island support it, that the legislature will as well.
1: Mike, what do you have maybe flying under the radar? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's under the radar, but very importantly, I've been immersed in in the affordable housing issue. So the bills uh, that my colleague referenced as as pending are of great interest to me. And where they they want to go uh, or where they seek to go is going to, I think, either make or break the issue. So I'm very, very interested and want to be... um, uh, very active in, in helping to there's, guide that. There's policy.
0: issues with that because I know they've talked in my town, we mothballed a couple of schools that we had to bring back at one point because the, you know, the, the, population fluctuates and so I think there's discussion about when you relax zoning rules and that, that affects other property owners is that some of what the discussion that's going to be going on
1: certainly that is is one of the elements but I think again uh, we do need to um, revolutionize to a degree our approach and I think uh, empowering folks who want to get out of an affordable housing situation through um, getting into an apartment renting leasing building equity to buy an affordable house and then perhaps one day decide to move wherever they want, thus freeing up um, the inventory for folks who are coming up. And I think we can build sort of a, a revolving system that keeps the the stock high and allows people to build equity and get out of that, that cycle.
0: Jessica, what are you looking at? Maybe that other people might not be seen in the headlines.
3: Okay. Well, they're the the, nor- the usuals like education and and, and of course, a lot of these topics, but, um, you know, I've been doing some research and, uh, it would have to go to the voters, but I would love to see, uh, one Senator for every city and town. So we'd go from 38 to 39 and we'd have really model ourselves after the, uh, the, uh, federal model where, you know, Rhode Island gets two senators and Connecticut, I mean, excuse me, and California gets two senators regardless of size and population. It would have to go to the voters cause, uh, it would be unconstitutional the way that it's set up, but I would love to see that, um, I think it works and we wouldn't have to worry about gerrymandering in the Senate.
0: You heard it here first. <laughs> Keep an eye on Senator Jessica De la Cruz. Uh, let's do outrages and/or kudos. When we may have time to get to a couple other things. Chris, do you have an outrage or a kudo this week?
2: Uh, yeah, my outrage is the insurrection in Brazil. I mean, it happened on January 8th, uh, two years and two days after the insurrection happened in this country. It looked exactly the same. It's the it's the the same approach. It's the same attack on democracy. The lesson I see is that our democratic institutions are important, that we have to preserve them, and that it takes work of all of us to do that because if it can happen here in the United States and in Brazil it can happen elsewhere and that's my outrage of the week.
4: Senator Miller? Um, My outrage of the week is uh, the way the U.S. House of Representatives conducted themselves and the danger of the kind of investigation that they might do (coughs) and um, what the important role both locally and nationally journalism will take part in this. If journalists don't Help get to the facts on what's being uh, pontificated by people like us. It's going to be real crisis in that we don't understand the difference between fact and propaganda.
0: Jessica, what do you have? I'll read your kudo.
3: Well, I think I'll go positive. I'll go with the kudo. Um, I would have to give kudos to my Senate colleagues for putting the work behind saving Zambrano Hospital. I couldn't have done it without all of them and their unanimous support, and that includes uh, the Senate president and and my colleague here at the table, but um, couldn't do it without them, and I'm very thankful for their support. It
0: looked a little dicey at one point, didn't
3: it? It it did, yeah. Yeah. And we still have work to do, so I look forward to working with them on that.
1: Mike? My outrage uh, at first I thought was a joke, but it turns out it's absolutely true. Um, the president has suggested banning the use of gas stoves in our <laughs> homes, and for all of those folks who worship at the altar of solar panels, I think this is probably one of the most ridiculous proposals I've heard of. Uh, in Don't tell string. Chef run over that. He's now, not going to be happy. I won't, because he'll hit me with a cast-iron pan. Um, but while embracing the fact that we have to deal with climate issues, um, I think the approach has just been foolishly ideologi- ideologically driven and it's resulted in some just uh, some some policies that are impractical and will bankrupt families. And, and this one here is just another example of the ludicrous we're getting from that. that I wouldn't
0: crowd. hold your breath on that going through
1: from my cold, dead hands. You will get my <laughs> gas stove.
0: We didn't even get to guns on this issue. It's the uh, that'll be for another day. Folks, that is all the time we have. Josh, good to see you. Yep. Mike you. and Chris and Jessica will see you up at the State House. Folks, thank you. That is a wrap for our legislative Leader show. Come back next week. We'll have a full analysis on what's going on. We'll be all over what's happening with these people at the General Assembly during the year. Come back next week as the lively experiment continues. We hope you have a great weekend.